Hello, and welcome to the 13th episode of the Abbey Normal Podcast. I'm your host, Colin Bourne. And I'm Aaliyah. You want to you get into what we're going to do today? Yes, and I will have so, my fiancé tell you what we're going to be talking about today. So I figured, you know, it's August, everybody's getting a jump start on the Halloween season, like with their decorations and usually, preparing. Yeah, usually that's how it works, especially if it's like the beginning of September, that's when everyone puts their Halloween decorations up and stores do that pretty early. So I thought today, yeah. I thought in today's episode we would have a little bit of a spooky start to our season. I'm going to be talking about horror movies or horror drama movies that are based on true crime events. Mm -hmm. Now, when I say true crime or movies that are based on true events, I don't mean like the paranormal, spooky ghost story stuff. Because when I was doing my research for this episode, it's really hard to try to separate what you're looking for into certain categories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I could see that. But with this and everything, you're talking about more of the crime scenes and like people who've done things in them yeah Yeah. and and you know how horror movies how they've been influenced by true crime events and turning them into Mm -hmm. you know horror movies and there's some pretty well-known ones in here um and then some that we didn't really get to talk about when we did the true crime podcast and don't get me wrong i like the horror movies that have to do with stuff with the supernatural and creatures and stuff like that but i do like me a good horror movie that has to deal with the psychological aspects of thing and the more realism within the horror movie i think it maybe even later on this season we might do something like that colin if you're down to doing some research we can look up some true ghost stories to talk about on here i would love to i would like to go on the internet to search up like stories of like you know like supernatural situations especially whether they happen in any place like a hotel or stuff like that that's what i like to look up okay so you want to get a jump start on the episode oh here we go all right let us begin with the first first uh movie so the first movie i have written down 2008 yeah. movie the strangers it wasn't stars, that new <laughs> stars Liv tyler so what i'm gonna do is i'm just gonna talk about i'm gonna give the title the year it was released the m- crimes that are based on and explain what the movie is about give you a, a brief summary of what the movie is about and the crime in which they are based on so might as well do that now so 2008's the strangers is loosely based off or not based but it was inspired by the manson family murders and the keddie cabin murders now i know we all have probably heard about the manson murders but Mm. colin have you ever heard of the keddie cabin murders no not exactly i've heard quite a bit about them and it's a very unusual story and it's still Mm -hmm. unsolved this day like there are some suspects that they may people may think have done it but anyway i'm gonna get into it so a quick summary of the movie so, Kristen and James spend a weekend away at a family vacation home, but their, quote, relaxing getaway turns into a suspenseful crazy night when three masked intruders terrorize the couple. So, it definitely doesn't go as planned as they wanted it for their vacation. Well, if you watch the movie, I've watched the movie, it is terrifying. It definitely gives you this false sense of security. I think that's the last thing I want for our vacation. Especially when being home alone. Yeah. The, the really crazy thing about it, too, is, like, 
it's just it's just those suspenseful moments in the movie where you kind of watch them kind of like roam around the house mm-hmm. and then in the background you can kind of see like these silhouettes or people like with the masks on just kind of lurking in the shadows mm-hmm. it's very terrifying huh. and well, that's what makes such a good scary movie is when you do stuff like that yeah so yeah but anyway yeah. so these cr- so this movie was influenced by two crimes as i mentioned before so the first one I'm going to talk a bit about is the Manson family murder. So Charles Manson and his family committed a spree of crimes during the summer of 1969. Although Manson himself wasn't involved with the Tate slash LaBianca murders, he believed that these murders would spark the helter-skelter apocalyptic race war, mm-hmm. which never happened. And they were, I don't want to say quickly apprehended shortly after, but yeah, never happened. And then the Keddy Cabin Murders is a very interesting story. So I'm kind of a, a bit excited to tell you about this, Colin, because as we've you know talked about in the past episodes, I love true crime. And it it's sort of like fun for me to kind of share my knowledge with what I know to you and in hopes that maybe you get to learn a little something. So the Keddy Cabin Murders is an all, unsolved quadruple... Um, Homicide that took place in the in Keddie, California, in 1981. Okay. Okay. So the victims were single mother Susan Sharp and two of her children, John and Tina Sharp, along with John's friend Dana Wingate. Now Susan did have other children here in this um, cabin with her, along with another uh, friend of one of her children, and they were unharmed. Mm. And her oldest daughter was out for the night, mm. and she was the one who came home and discovered them. Yeah. And Tina wasn't actually found with the rest of the victims. Her mm-hmm. remains actually wouldn't be fi- found until a couple years later, miles away from the cabin which they were murdered in. Huh. Yeah, so interesting. that was an interesting um, case to learn about. Yeah. And like I said, nobody knows to this day who did it. I mean, like I said, there's been some speculation and at one point, they believed that maybe Susan's ex-husband, the father of her children, had something to do with it. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, never never fell through. Yeah. So what do you think? <clears throat> I think I think it's intriguing, you know. It definitely is. And if you ever want to, like, learn more about it, I've, I mean, I've definitely looked into, like, people on YouTube who talk about true crimes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some podcasts that talk about them as well. I can always research his Bible <coughs> and stuff, so, I mean, that mm-hmm. makes sense, too. Yeah. So, our next, I don't want to say movie, because this one is different. I kind of went a different direction with this one. So, I took a case, wrote down the crime... Mm-hmm. And then wrote down a list of movies that were influenced by this case. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So the case we're going to be talking about is Ed Gein. Now, Ed Gein's crimes, he didn't really kill a lot of people. He killed two women. Mm. But his most notorious crime was um, body snatching or grave robbing. Yeah. He um, was also known as the Butcher of Plainfield. And the movies, I have a short list, but I'm going to go through them really quick. 1960's Psycho, 1974's Texas Chainsaw Massacre, 1991's Silence of the Lambs, 2003's House of a Thousand Corpses by Rob Zombie, which is one of my favorite movies of his, 
And there's a character in American Horror Story Asylum that is based off of Ed Gein's crimes. Yeah. Which I'll talk a little bit about these later because some of the things that they um, found in Gein's home, they do reference in some of these movies. Yeah. So I'll get into that. So, the crime. Ed Gein, like I said, was also known as the Butcher of Plainfield. He committed two counts of murder and nine counts of corpse mutilations. When police entered his home upon investigating, they found, and this is the list, they found whole human bones and fragments, a wastebasket made of human skin, human skin covering several chair seats, skulls on his bedpost. So you know how, like, beds have the little wooden posts on the four corners of the bed? Yes. He had skulls on top of each post. Oh, okay. Um, bowls made from human skull, which if you've watched American Horror Story Asylum, when there's a episode where Lana Winters, Sarah Polson's character, she escapes the asylum and goes to her psychiatrist, Dr. Threadson's home. When she's there, she starts to kind of notice certain things around his home that are a bit off-putting. She sees either an ashtray or like a, a peanut dish. That kind of resembles, like, the top of a skull. Ooh. A corset. That's a a nice ashtray to think about. A corset made from a female torso. Leggings made from human skin. Masks made from female facial skin. Now, this was something that they also referenced in House of a Thousand Corpses and The Devil's Rejects. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, what the killers in the movies did was they would carve the faces off of their victims and wear them like masks. Yeah, just like how Texas Chainsaw <clears throat> Massacre did as well. Exactly. One of Gein's victims is named was Mary Hogan. They found her face mask in a paper bag and her skull was in a box. Another victim of his was Bernice Warden's. Her entire head was found in a burlap sack and her heart was found in a plastic bag in front of Gein's potbelly stove. Nine, vulva, and a shoebox. Do you know what a vulva is? Not a car. That's a Volvo. A vulva is a... How do I explain this pretty well? Is it a weapon? No, it's a female body part. It's it's a piece... I don't want to say a piece of skin, but it's like a part... Yeah. I knew it. It is not the vagina, but it's part of it. Is it not look the it up, Colin. Just look it up. You're going to look that up. I'm going to keep going with my list. Okay. So, another thing they found was a belt made of human nipples. They found four noses, a pair of lips on a window shade drawstring, a lampshade made from the skin of a human face, and a box of fingernails. Now, the lampshade thing was another thing they referenced in that American Horror Story episode I mentioned. Yeah. Because aside from the, the candy dish on the coffee table, she looks up at the lamp. And she notices that on the lampshade, there's, like, two distinctive nipples on it. And she starts to kind of put two and two together, like, that's made of real skin. Yeah. I should probably go. Like, just dip out of there. So, Gein claimed between 1947 and 1952, he made as many as 40 nocturnal visits to three local graveyards to dig off recently deceased bodies and claimed to be in a, quote, days-like state while doing these grave diggings. Okay. Um, Most of the bodies he picked were middle-aged women who resembled his mother, and he would take these bodies home 
tan them to make his paraphernalia. Now, I think the whole mother thing is where they got the idea for the Norman Bates character in Psycho. What's up? Oh, nothing. Go on. That's not how you spell vulva, stupid. Oh, okay. V-U-L-V-A-E. Well, that's how they did it right here. That's not how you spell it. Oh, my gosh. Why? I don't know if I should save this one for last. Oh, V-U, okay. Yeah, V-U-L-V-A-E. V-A-E, okay. Mm-hmm. Volve. That sounds French. <clears throat> I'm just going to give you a minute to figure this out. Volve. Oh, okay. Yep. See, I knew it had something to do with the vagina. It's the outer part of the female genitals. The vulva includes the opening of the vagina, includes the, the labia majora, mm-hmm. the labia minora, and the clitoris. So, yeah. It's pretty much all so of it. So, I was kind of right from the beginning when I said vagina, and you were like, no. It's the opening, but it's not the actual vagina. No, but it has something to do with it. Moving on from okay. this weird topic, I'm going to save the next one on my list until last because it's pretty long and it's a case that really bothers me, so I'm going to wait until the end. Yeah, finale. Yeah, so the next one I'm going to talk about then is 1967's In Cold Blood. It's actually based on Truman Capote's 1966 novel of the same name, but it talks, it kind of talks about the Clutter family murders and... The movie itself is about two men who murder a family of four in Holcomb, Kansas, and shows their time as fugitives, their capture, and their executions. So this just kind of is just about the, the men themselves who commit the crimes rather yeah. than the crimes themselves. Hmm. <clears throat> so the crime is this. On the morning of November 15th, 1959, four members of the Clutter family, Herb, Bonnie, Nancy, and Kenyon Clutter, were murdered in their home in Holcomb, Kansas, by two ex-convicts, Perry Smith and Richard Hickok. Um, Both men were charged for the murders, found guilty, and were executed on April 14, 1965. So this was, like, a while after the murders. Mm -hmm. What do you think? I like it. Sorry. It's I just, mean, it's it's cool. I mean, I it's always interesting why... I just never understand why some people have their motives to go and kill someone. I mean, I couldn't, well, I couldn't really do that. Based on my brief research on this case, they mainly did it for money. Because they believe that Herb... Money? Wow. Yeah. Because they believe that Herb Clutter had a safe somewhere in his house. Because yeah. Herb Clutter was essentially, like, an agriculturalist. So he was a farmer. Yeah. And he made... a good deal of money but he didn't actually have a safe or a fortune hidden anywhere in his house which is what the men believed they were going there to rob them with and they didn't want really like it it was interesting because in certain accounts Perry Smith was like I actually didn't want to kill Herb he was actually a really decent guy and gentleman but I didn't want to leave any loose ends and he thought he was actually being noble by preventing his partner, Richard Hickok, from raping the daughter, Nancy. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's still not good what they did. Well, that seems interesting what happened there. But I almost thought that, like, I almost got these crimes confused with, like, the Sodder family murders or, like, another crime that sounds similar, especially back in that time in 1959. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. But if you were the kind of person who, like, came in in the night, quickly killed people and, like, ran away... Before people could notice what was going on. Yeah. Like, that was kind of something, I feel like, back in the time, easy to get away with. 
So the next movie I'm going to talk about is 1970's The Honeymoon Killers, and it's based off of the Lonely Hearts Killers, Raymond Fernandez and Martha Beck. And we actually talked about them. They were actually, these were, this was actually a question in our True Crime podcast episode where you asked me what were the names of the killers, the Lonely Hearts ad killers. Yeah, the Lonely Hearts club band. This is them. Oh, okay. And this movie, The Honeymoon Killers, is based off of... Um, I maybe want to watch that now. I kind of want to watch that now. Well, it's an older movie. Well, I like, I like older scary movies, especially if you're doing <laughs> stuff like this kind of subject. Like, I want to mm-hmm. actually see, see what it's like, so it'd be cool. Yeah. So the movie summary I have down, it says, The plot follows a sullen nurse who is seduced by a con man and embarks on a murder spree of elderly women, which essentially Raymond and Martha actually did. Raymond Fernandez and Martha Beck were the notorious Lonely Hearts killers of the 1940s. While they were suspected of having killed up to 20 people, they were actually convicted of only one murder. Um, They would find their victims through Lonely Hearts ads, and then Fernandez would respond to the ads as a potential suitor, and Beck would pose as his sister, who she would inevitably, like, live with the couple while Fernandez was posing as a suitor. So that seems like they were doing, like, a dating website? Kinda. It's almost like... But that was even before the internet. How is that possible? It's the 1940s, Colin. You write, yeah. you send an oh, you send yeah, a you letter to the paper saying, "I want to put a lonely heart ad out. Oh, yeah. This is who, this is the kind of person that I'm looking for. And if you want a relationship with me, please respond to my ad." That's how it essentially worked. It'd just be funny if someone wrote it down, <laughs> put it in the paper, and all you see is like what their credentials are and everything, and they're just like, "I'm desperate <laughs> for someone." Well, they would target like middle-aged women who were alone, essentially. So. And Beck had a very bad temper. She was highly jealous of the women that Fernandez would spend his time with. Well, he was a player. What do you expect? Well, no, because here's the thing. She lived in... I believe she lived in Florida. Based on what I was able to research, she originally lived in Florida and she was a nurse. Mm -hmm. She actually had children from previous relationships that she left behind to go live with Fernandez in New York. They were eventually arrested when neighbors of Delphine Downing, who was their latest victim, they were suspicious of her and her two-year-old daughter's disappearance, and this was on March 1st, 1949. They were caught, convicted, and executed on March 8th, 1951. Huh. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it's weird because in my notes or in my research, I was only able to find, like, accounts of them killing two people. Delphine Downing and her two-year-old daughter, and then one woman before them, Janet Fay. They were only tried and convicted of Janet Fay's death, which is the one murder that they were convicted of, which I think is crazy. But anyway, moving on. This one is a very, very gruesome story, so I'm just going to let you guys know ahead of time. Like, this involves a lot of child abuse yeah, but I think and they'll torture. Be fine. They'll be fine. Uh, mm. No. So, 2007's The Girl Next Door is based on the murder of Sylvia Likens. Have you ever heard of her? Sylvia Likens? No. But the name, The Girl Next Door, there was actually a 2004 movie of the same name that was a sex comedy. That kind of, like, reminds Mm. you of Risky Business. Not exactly the kind of movie I'm thinking of. Yeah, but no. But it's a different movie with the same name, but go on. 
So the movie is about Ruth Chandler abuses her teenage niece Meg Laughlin by starving her verbally and abusing her. Or verbally and physically abusing her. Hmm. Well, the movie is based off of the murder of Sylvia Likens. This is a long story I'm going to go into. And like I said, there are accounts <sighs> of child abuse, torment, and torture. And it's just, it's if you're not one to stomach this, then I wouldn't recommend listening to this part. Um, so Sylvia Likens was subjected to the abuse and torment by her guardian, Gertrude. And I'm probably going to b- b- butcher this woman's last name. Her name was Gertrude Banisuski. I don't know. I'm just going to call her Gertrude throughout the rest of this story. Okay. <clears throat> but in July of 1965, Sylvia and her younger sister, Jenny, were sent to live with Gertrude and her family while their own family traveled for work. After the first week of their stay with Gertrude is when Sylvia became the target of, for most of Gertrude's violent outbursts. Gertrude would first, like, paddle the girls. Mm. You know what paddling is, right? Yeah. Yep. So she had, like, this long wooden plank yep. that she used to spank them with. Oh, yeah. And would, um... Sounds fun. Would later on um, get her own children involved. And it was mostly her older daughter, Paula, her second oldest daughter, Stephanie, and her son, John Jr. And then she would even invite neighborhood children... To get involved with the abuse as well. What? Mm-hmm. Ugh, sicko. Um, Sylvia would also be denied food in certain occasions. And in one account I remember, she she and, like, the neighborhood kids would force feed Sylvia a hot dog that was, like, over, like, topped with stuff. They force fed it to her and she threw it up and then Gertrude would force her to, to eat, eat what eat the regurgitated hot dog. Uh, yeah. It's terrible. Fucking terrible. Oh, um, man, I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to be that girl on her birthday. But I think the I think the amount of denying her food ended up causing her to be malnourished and fatigued. Well, makes sense, especially with a regurgitated hot dog going back in your mouth. She would also like I think in a, a few other accounts she would like burn her with matches and cigarettes. She would carve like obscenity like words on her skin yeah she this poor girl was tortured to no end i would kill the mother but after three months of excessive abuse and mistreatment sylvia died on october 26 1965 the older woman right sylvia yeah the daughter or not the daughter See, because Sylvia Likens and her sister Jenny were not related to Gertrude at all. Oh. Her family were... But who died? Sylvia. Okay. The the girl. The little girl. Oh, okay. All right, go on. Gertrude, along with her daughter, Paula, Stephanie, and John Jr. were arrested on suspicions of Sylvia's murder. Neighborhood children Richard Hobbs and Coy Hubbard were also arrested and charged with the same offenses. Now... All three were tried and found guilty on certain accounts of first and second degree murder. And they eventually ended up getting out of prison. Like, serving their time and getting out. Really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. And it's crazy, because in Gertrude's appeal for release, she claimed that, like, she took responsibility and claimed that she had no recollection of any of the abuse because of the you know, drugs she was taking for her asthma, which is bullshit. And then after she was released, 
she still didn't she end up denying any responsibility for sylvia's death oh okay <clears throat> which is bullshit and what's funny is like her daughter paula she w- eventually was released she changed her name you know got remarried had more children got a job as a in a school i think like school cafeteria lady i can't remember something uh-huh. She got a like an educational based job, and when her employers found out about her true identity, they fired her. Good, she needs to be fired. Exactly, I thought that was. That's justice in the school system for mm-hmm. sure. And then Richard Hobbs and Coy Hubbard only served up to two years, and were released. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, that's so oh, fucking. I talking to me. But no, this that case just makes me frustrated. Be- but I will say this, though. I mean, unfortunately, Sylvia died. But the day she died, obviously, the police were called. They found her body. And her sister, Jenny, her younger sister, uh-huh. told police, like, if you get me out of this house, I will tell you everything. And that's yeah. what they did. They took her to the police station, and she told them everything about the abuse and mistreatment that Sylvia suffered. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. And then the last one I saved is 2014's Devil's Knot. And it is... How many more do we have? Is this the final one? This is the last one. Oh, okay. The Devil's Knot is adapted from the same name of a novel written by Mara Leverett. And it covers the West Memphis 3 case. Hmm. Nice. Now, this case frustrates the shit out of me. So if I get, like, a little ranty and bitchy about this, I'm sorry. But it, it frustrates me. All right, well, <clears throat> go ahead then. On May 5th, 1993, three eight-year-old boys, Stevie Branch, Michael Moore, and Christopher Byers were reported missing in West Memphis, Arkansas. Their bodies were found the next day in a creek in Robin Hood Hills. The condition in which these boys were found um, led police to believe that this was some sort of like satanic ritualistic killing, and it led officers... James Sudbury and Steve Jones to kind of hone in on Damien Eccles because they knew that he was a local teenage boy who had, you know, interests in the gothic and occult culture. Mm-hmm. And detectives would first question Eccles about, like, his knowledge of the occult to try to connect any similarities to the crimes. Yeah. Eccles believed and stated that if it had been a ritualistic killing, the victims would have genital mutilation. Genital mutilation, mm-hmm. which one, one of the boys did show bite marks and some scarring on his in that area. Mm-hmm. But um, medical examiners would believe that it was animals had done it post-mortem. Yeah. So after like a month pass of investigation with no new leads and no new evidence, um, they decided to focus on... You know, other people that Eccles may have possibly known. Jason Baldwin was another kid. Now, these three teenage boys didn't really have a friendship. They just sort of knew each other. Mm. And Jason Baldwin was another teenage outcast who believed in the Wicca culture. Nothing wrong with that. No, nothing From From what we know today, Wicca is not similar to satanic culture or occult culture. I met a lot of them, and they're actually some of the nicest people in the world. Exactly. Yeah. They're very, like, they're people who worship the earth and the nature. Like, that's pretty much, uh, in summary, what Wicca is about. 
And then there was another kid named Jason Miss Kelly Jr. He had an IQ of 72. So he's, you know, has some mental disabilities. And legally, at the time, he was a minor. So he couldn't be interrogated alone. Nah. And Miss Kelly's dad actually gave, you know, his son permission to go with police, Mm -hmm. but didn't specify that he should be questioned or interrogated. Yeah. But they did. They questioned Miss Kelly for 12 hours going over and over until he gave a false confession. Now, if there, you can actually listen to the confession tapes and you can tell this kid has been manipulated into a false confession by the authorities. Did you hear the, the confession tapes? Yes. Like, if you go on Morbid, Morbid True Crime Podcast actually does a really good three-part on this and they play the tapes and you can tell that like he is trying to tell him like you know i didn't know any of these kids i don't know any of the guys that you're telling like he didn't know damien and jason very well he's like i don't know anything about what happened yeah and they were like but you did though right you were you, there. like like we were there though weren't you they kind of just went back and forth and the crazy thing about this is even though they questioned him for 12 hours, only 46 minutes of the interview was recorded. Because every time J- um, Jesse would say something that the police didn't want to hear, they turned off the recording and they were like, no, no, no. That's not right. You know what I mean? Like, you were at, you were at this place, or this happened, They're right? They trying to convince him. To, yeah, they, yeah. Coerced, they coerced him into a false confession without an adult present, which is not okay which is kind of bullshit but yeah yeah i just feel like that just sounds wrong it is wrong they would do stuff like that it is you know and it's just like who's the more bad guy in this the kid or the police or the people interrogating him the whole justice system is corrupted because it has been for years all three were found guilty in 1994 and were sentenced to life in prison. And then Jamie Eccles got the death penalty, which he later appealed and got that sentence reduced to just life in prison. Mm-hmm. But in 1996, HBO documentary Paradise Lost to Child Murders at Robin Hood Hill helped shine some light on how botched the investigation was. Like, they not only found out that Sudbury and Jones, they targeted Damien for a reason. They wanted this kid in jail from the get-go, even before the murders were committed. They they thought this kid was so suspicious and so devious that they thought he deserved to go to jail. So when when these crimes happened, they were like, okay, now's our chance. So they did everything they could to make it look like Damien did it. Yeah. Okay. You know. Yeah. It just, I don't know, to me it just sounds wrong. It is, and if you watch the documentaries, I mean, you find out more. It's not just the police who botched the whole thing. Like I said, the entire justice system, complete. Yeah, the the kid was definitely wrongfully accused, that's for sure. No, but, like, the entire justice system was completely botched. Yeah. I I really need to do more research on this to really get my facts straight, because I don't want to just talk out of my ass and get everything wrong. And and people thinking that you're lying. But But do, I do encourage you, if you want to know more about it, do go to the Morbid Podcast Mm -hmm. episodes about it, because like I said, they do a great three-part expose about the whole case. They play the confession tapes of Jason Miss Kelly's interrogation. They have notes and citations from the Paradise Lost documentary. But while all is said and done, and I know, like I said, this case bothers the hell out of me. In 2011, 
Eccles, Baldwin, and Miss Kelly were released from prison as part of a plea deal. Now, the Alford plea allows defendants to plead guilty while still asserting the, their actual innocence, hmm. which is how they were able to walk out of prison. And Jason Baldwin actually did not want to take the plea deal because he's like, I'm innocent. Yeah. I didn't do anything wrong. Like, I'm not pleading guilty to something I know I didn't do. Exactly. But he took it knowing, like, you know, if this is my only way to walk out of prison and not die here, then what other choice do I have? Because the problem is, is that they kept appealing their case to get out or reduce their sentences, and they got denied every time. Mm. So, I mean, there's there's been new evidence that's come forward since that has proved otherwise of their guilty pleas and um, verdicts. And, you know, it's just... The whole thing is just so fucking wrong to mm. me. Yeah, it just it, it does seem wrong. I mean, other other uh, instances <coughs> tell me here. I feel like it was the motive of the killer and stuff. But for this right here, there really is no motive for the killer to do what they need to do. It's just I feel like this is more of an accusing. Well, it's not like these boys were murdered to frame the teenage boys for their crimes. The, somebody killed these boys, and the police wanted somebody to be held responsible for it. I just think it sounds crazy. But I hope that... And it's, but it, another big part of that case that had something to do with it was the satanic panic culture of the 1990s. Yeah, because a lot of that was happening back then, especially yeah. a lot of satanic stuff. And in Satanism is not all like the media wants you to think it is either. Because another thing I've learned from true crime podcasts and readings about satanic culture, it's not 100% like cut and dry. It's not that they worship the devil. They don't do ritualistic killings for, you know, evil purposes. Yeah. It's not it's all really, about that. It's really all about like worshiping yourself and your needs and wants and your goals and, you know, aspirations like in life. Mm-hmm. Finding out what what you're here for and what your purpose is and aspiring to be better than what you can be. It's about the journey itself. Pretty much. And there have been, like, so many other cases involved that are related to the satanic panic era of the 1990s. And it's just... It bothers me. Like I said, this this is just one of many cases that bothered the crap out of me. Well, it's okay. We At least you don't have to worry about it, you know, anymore. Mm-hmm. So, it's okay. But can I just say this, too? Over time, the parents of the three boys that were murdered actually did believe later on that Damien, Jason, and Jesse were innocent. Yeah. Even, um, what was his name? Christopher Byers' father. Mm-hmm. He actually eventually turned to, like, he... Because when, when the investigation was ongoing, the trials were ongoing, Yeah, he was a big believer that these three were guilty. Hmm. But then over time, he started to see like, hey, you know, maybe maybe they didn't do it. But you know who I think did do it? Who? Terry Hobbs. Now, Terry Hobbs is Stevie Branch's stepfather. Hmm. And another funny thing was... I know that name. Hmm. You should because... Oh my God, what's her name from the Dixie Chicks, the lead singer? Oh yeah. You know her name? No, but I know who you're talking about. Hang on, I'm looking it up. Oh, <clears throat> So, yeah, I just hope... Wait, she doesn't have anything to do with it, right? No, but 
remember when they did a remember when they did like a benefit concert for the West Memphis Three? Yes. I Eddie remember. Vedder, Johnny Depp. I they do. all came together and yeah, rallied. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. Yeah. Well, Natalie Maines, the lead singer, she accused Terry Hobbs of having something to do with it. She's like, I think he's guilty, and I think he knows more than what he says he knows. And he sued her for slander. For And accusing, right? Well, slander. Oh. Because that's, mm-hmm. that's like taking somebody's name and what? But no, he like sued her for slander, and he lost. And he had to pay her back. Like, legal fees. Which he never paid. I don't think. (laughs) But yeah, it's just, it's really funny. But, like, if there have been, like I said, new information, new testimonies have come forward proving otherwise that these three boys didn't do it. And I I just wish that, like, people would take this more seriously now. Yeah. You know? Exactly. But you know what? I definitely learned a lot today, especially Mm -hmm. with these these stories and these movies and the, the killings. Of this episode. Well, the movies especially. Like, I definitely would recommend you guys check them out. Like, Especially I mean, if any of you have never seen stuff like Psycho. Come on, <laughs> everyone's seen Psycho. I haven't. Uh, well, that's on you. But anyway, the point is, you should definitely go see Psycho. Uh, especially Aaliyah. She's definitely going to watch it with me so she can see what it's like. Because it's a classic. At one point or another, hopefully. But anyway. Yeah, but... Um, yes. Str- Strangers was a pretty good movie. And I think there is a sequel... To it, which I've never watched, but really, should there really be a sequel to that? Yeah, Ugh, I hate but when they I make like, sequels for no but reason. But I feel like the movie Hush also is kind of similar in that aspect, where it's like it's like one of those. Yeah, the guy with the mask thing. That actually, I saw that as the thumbnail, like the cover to it, and it scared the hell out of me. That mask because it was mm-hmm. just came out of nowhere. So, yeah. But, I mean, there are hundreds of other movies that cover true crime or are based off of true crime stories. Which, unfortunately, like I said, we probably didn't have enough time to go over all of them. But I just wanted to cover some pretty well-known cases. Yeah, but you know what? In our next episodes, we're going to definitely be covering more spooky things. So, we'll definitely be, um, you know, doing the whole spectrum of everything. Yeah, and like I said, we could probably do... Maybe we can do another plot hole episode with horror movies. Ooh, actually, that would be a lot of fun to do. I would love yeah. that. I, would, I miss plot hole killer segments like that where we would have like really deep conversations. I miss being in plot holes. It'll be fun to be in one again. Yeah, we just gotta watch some horror movies. Okay. Well, we gotta watch some that have plot holes. We can't just watch a, a scary movie that doesn't have a plot hole. We just gotta, we gotta find which movies have plot holes. All of them. All horror movies have plot holes? All of them, yeah. I don't know about that part, but I mean... Or you can look them up. This is how I was scary able Scary to... movies with plot holes. I'd probably Google that. <laughs> oh. Excuse me. Well, we should finish this episode so you don't have to barf like this the whole time on the show. <laughs> so, but we I'm hope... sorry I'm gross. <laughs> it's okay. We're all gross in one way or another, but it's okay. But we all hope that you enjoyed this episode, and please stay tuned for more episodes that we're going to be doing, especially that's going to be during the spooky season. So this is. And we'll definitely try to keep more up to date on these. I know we've kind of been on a bit of a hiatus lately. We've been busy. I mean, I have, especially with my new job and all. But you know what? I'm going to definitely try to make more episodes with Aaliyah so we can all have fun and you can all be entertained by what we're saying and doing. Yeah, and we'll definitely try to, like, get a schedule down so in which we, like, 
can sit down and record these episodes. Yeah. I can sit down and edit them and then mm, get them posted. Yeah. At a my time people, of the week. yeah, my people will talk to your people, and we'll all get together and have lunch and figure out what we can do for a schedule. Yeah. So yes, but other than that, don't forget though that we have our Facebook page, the Abby Normal Podcast Facebook group. We have the Twitter account at Abby Podcast or Abby Normal Podcast, and we have our Gmail account still. Abby Normal Podcast at gmail.com. Gmail, right here. All right, so hold on. Yes. Are you all set? Yes. All right. Well, without further ado, this has been a wonderful episode of the Abby Normal Podcast. I am Colin Bourne. And I'm Aaliyah. Signing off saying be safe and don't kill anyone. <laughs>